Hello, Facebook. Welcome to another episode of Soccer Now Football. I am, uh, we are your hosts, Della and Daniel. Um, glad to uh, join you as always. And um, normally we wouldn't, we would take a little bit of a break before uh, loading up a new episode, but some new developments um, across the football world had demanded our attention. And um, for those who may not know, we are here to explain what has been going on. Um, so we are facing a, um, a creation of a Super League. And you might be asking what the, what the hell is a Super League? So um, basically, we have 12 teams, 12 of the biggest teams in Europe. Um, AC Milan, Inter, Juventus, Chelsea, Man United, Man City, Tottenham, Arsenal, Liverpool, um, Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Atletico Madrid all deciding to break away from the current uh, UEFA Champions League which is, as of now, the premier uh, tournament in Europe, the, the premier uh, European competition. And the idea is that these 12 teams, with the idea of having about like three more teams, would play together, will play against each other throughout the season. And... Um, this is supposed to be bringing a influx of about 3 million, 3 billion for each club. And, um, yeah, um, Daniel, anything else you wanted to add to that? Yeah, this situation complex right now, it just dropped the other day, uh, maybe last night. I don't really know when it dropped, to be honest with you, but it's been in the talks for a while. They've been talking about uh, taking off and joining their own league and a bunch of the big clubs from around Europe have. From my understanding, it's basically what the teams themselves want, what those 12 teams that broke away want is this to kind of act as their new Champions League, except they always get to be in it. So basically they're just creating a system for themselves that they guarantee themselves games against big competitions. And then what they would want is to still be able to play in their domestic leagues, but play in this European super league to act as the new champions league. And they are doing this outside of UEFA's wishes, which UEFA is basically the governing body of European soccer you could say like CONCACAF is the governing body of North American soccer, Conan Bowl for South America, et cetera, et cetera. And that's made a lot of people unhappy because basically these big teams, the big 12 teams are just taking all the infrastructure, all the groundwork that every team in Europe has developed for the last 100, 150 years and saying, thanks for that. But now we're going to take all that and, go play in this big competition, big tournament and keep all this money for ourselves. And you guys are left to fend for yourselves. 
And that's what most people are upset about. It's that they're basically just trying to hoard all the money for themselves. Um, I kind of get what they're going for. They're trying to go for a more American model uh, where all the teams are kind of known quantities and all the fan bases are kind of, you know, big and strong and powerful and, and can spend and can travel across the country or continent. But it just comes from a place of, it's not from a, a football place. It's not from a soccer place. It's from money. And that's what rubs me the wrong way. It's that the, the owners of these clubs, they don't care about the fans. They don't care about the generations of people who have spent supporting these clubs. You know, if you look at a club like AC Milan, or whatever founded before the 1900s, you know, Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal, all those clubs, big part of English history, not just football history, English history in general. And they're just trying to take too much. They're just, yeah, they're just being too greedy right now. And it's, it's not the best situation that we find ourselves in today. Yeah. Thank you, Daniel, for, for that very composed and very coherent, um, coherent statement. Um, Kenneth kind of said it better myself. Uh, when I heard about this initially, you know, I was very angry, um, very mad about what, you know, what was going on. And um, the man who is spearheading all of this um, is the president of Real Madrid, Fiorentino Perez. And, you know, his reasoning, you know, to save football by, um, save football in big, big quotes, um, by having this Super League, by getting all these teams together, is to, you know, uh, provide a new era of financial freedom. And it will bring a new era for, for them because they will have all the power. They will have all the power. It's and it's dominated by greed. It's dominated by greed. It's going into a whole capitalistic mindset of just taking the bigger piece of the pie and leaving, you know, the other leaving the rest of the footballing world, you know, to scramble for themselves. Imagine taking I want like Virton Perez Perez is like the Jeff Bezos of of soccer, if you will. You know, just trying to find a way to maximize their profits any way that they can at the expense of the working class, you know, teams, the teams who um go in day in, day out, you know the ones who don't get the big TV deals, the ones who don't get the big money deals, but they still have a loyal fan base that comes in day in and day out because that's who they supported. And there's been so much history, you know, with the Champions League. Before even before if it was called the Champions League, you know, that competition has been existed, has been around for a very, very long time. And just to throw it away, to say it doesn't matter. Mind you, we're still in the middle of the season. Mind you, they're they're still in the semifinals of all these competitions. 
And what's the point? What is the point of trying to fight for a top four spot that you might not never play again? What's the point of playing in a Champions League semifinal if you're not even going to make it next season? And it's really going to threaten um, the system as, as we know it. Because like you said, um, there's not going to be any more uh, promotion and regulation. So those teams, they have no incentive to, to, to try. You know, if they're not winning, they could just be content. They could try to tank try, or whatever, how this system is going to work. And you could definitely see it being a, a, a totally American system. And I think that influence is definitely because of some of the owners who are part of this. You know, we have Manchester United, who are owned by the Blazer family, who also own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And uh, you also have um, the, the Family Sports Group, who owns Liverpool. They also own the Sox, the Red Sox. And then you also have uh, Stan Kroenke, who owns Arsenal. And he happens to own the Rams, who he also screwed over that team, that, that fan base, you know, moving from St. Louis to L.A. just because it was more profitable. And that's, you know, for, for these owners, you know, they are not worried about the history. They're not worried about the traditions. They're not worried about the, the prestige. They don't, they're not worried about what it means to, to, support, um, to support soccer. Because for them, it's just a business. And sad as it may be, that's what we're dealing with at the moment. And it's been a long time coming. The best analogy that I could give for an American sport perspective would be if the best college football teams decided to create their own conference and only play against themselves. So it would be like if Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State um, you know, the traditional powers uh, came together and were like, okay, we're only going to play against these 12 teams, the 12 best teams in the nation. And we're going to get all the national TV games and we're going to take all the spotlight and attention and all the other teams in our conferences and, and leagues can, can go do whatever they want, but we're going to do this for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Cause I know sometimes the, the soccer leagues in Europe can get kind of confusing because there's like three leagues in one and there's like, you know, five pyramids that go in sideways or whatever. So it can be a little bit confusing and it's not a straight analogy to American sports. Cause we're in a closed market system. We only play against our own league. Like major league baseball doesn't go against like the Caribbean baseball teams or the Mexican baseball teams. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit an apples to pears comparison, but that's essentially what these teams are doing. They're, they're at the top of the market right now. So they're saying we're going to capitalize on that. We're going to cut out the bottom and we're going to say, this is how we're going to always stay on top. So that's why, that's why I'm against it. Um, my, my team isn't, my favorite team isn't a part of this league. How do you feel about Chelsea joining this league? Are you still going to support them? Are you going to kind of wait and see how this shakes out? Are you, are you feeling a little bit sad, a little bit angry? Just uh, just feeling betrayed uh, at the moment because, you know, everything that, you know, we've been fighting for, you know, um, they are willing to throw it away just so they don't get left behind and just, like, trying to follow follow the money. 
And I know, like, being as a, as a Chelsea fan, you know, we we wouldn't get our success if it wasn't for um, our billionaire owner. And for some of these clubs, you know, they haven't been, they won't be able to get some of that sex success if it wasn't for, you know, a, a nice cash influx. And um, that's the way um, we kind of like, you know, kind of accepted it. And we just got more and more content with how things have been, but there are still people who still, for, for those fans, it doesn't matter about the money, okay? It, they go in and support Chelsea day in and day out. They go in and support Manchester United day in and day out. They go in and support, you know, any type of club that they are attached to day in and day out. And that's what it really means, you know? And just thinking about the Super League, it was interesting how you brought up Major League Baseball because you know how Major League Baseball has like Division A teams and like Division Triple A teams and like all that. I can easily see how this. I can easily see um, what the Super League is trying to do. They might try to make it a whole elite league of like all these teams in Europe, and then oh, then we have like Triple A teams that um, that are still competing in Europe all around. And then just goes deeper and deeper. But there's no incentive for those teams. They're stuck in those positions. There's no opportunity for them to, you know, move up or even have a chance of reaching the top. Without that, then there wouldn't be no Leicester winning the Premier League in 2016. There wouldn't be no Porto winning the Champions League in, um, in in, in 2003. Those fairy tale um, comebacks, those um, those fairy tale stories, those those miraculous comebacks, you know, the thrill of of soccer is, you know, you never know what's gonna go. We never know what's gonna happen in these nine minutes, and the thrill of being able to play against these like you know, elite clubs, you know, it's just gonna be diluted if we're gonna have to play them over and over again over the course of the season. It's just that that thrill is going to be gone, and I can definitely see why so many fans are just so against it, why they're calling it the death of football. And at this point, we are at a crossroads. No, we're at an – I feel like we're at an influential, such an important point right now. And there's still a lot of uncertainty how these next couple of weeks are going to unfold. There's been a lot of talk about expelling the players, expelling the teams from their um, from their respective leagues, um, banning them from all UEFA, all uh, domestic competition. If they go back, they might get relegated all the way down to the third to the fifth tier, um, banning their players from playing in international competitions. So like no World Cup, no Euros, no no Gold Cup, you know nothing like that, and it just sucks for you know the actual players who don't even have a say in it, and they have to sit there and try to find some some fiber to you know keep going in a season that might not even matter for them, where their whole you know where their chance to play in these 
elite competitions are might be ripped away from them. Yeah, I feel I understand why they were threatening. And, and all this stuff going around is kind of just conjecture at this point. We don't really know, like, what is going to happen in the future. That will obviously unfold over the next couple of weeks, couple of months. This might even last for years. This could last a year or two where, where this is up in limbo and we're kind of just trying to figure it out. But I think punishing players is the – is the wrong way to go about it. You don't, I mean, they didn't have any say in this decision. They weren't the ones bargaining for this or asking for this. They were just showing up every day and playing soccer. Like, I don't think Christian Pulisic was in any meetings about the European super league. Like he was just showing up to Chelsea training every day, trying to earn a spot. Mm-hmm. So to punish the players and say, yeah, you signed this contract like two years ago, but if you continue to decide to play for this team you can't play for your national team anymore i feel like that's kind of punishing the uh, the wrong people i th- i think they're trying to encourage those players to leave those teams but still then you're asking a player to choose between like their their life security like Pulisic's making a nice check and change at chelsea to to go and uproot his life just because like they said so Basically, like I'm not sure that's lawfully even allowed. I don't know if they they could even get away with with banning them from international competitions. But that's for the lawyers to to sort through. I'm not going to worry about that too much. Um, But, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, a sad kind of scary situation. I don't think it's the death of football, like some people are saying, like it's definitely my, it might be changed forever now. We might go down a different path, but I don't think this sport is is dying. Uh, I heard I heard a couple uh, pundits talking, and and one of them made some good points that this isn't inevitable, but it's it's probably going to happen at some point where the big teams form some kind of league to play against each other, and they make it pretty closed to to just the top. 10, 20, 30 teams or whatever. And if you let those teams go have their fun against themselves, then the, then the lesser teams after a couple of years will just start to rise up and they'll, they'll inevitably get better and people, other teams will just take the spots of that team. You know, you might not have West Ham rise to the level that Manchester United's at, but a team like West Ham can now compete for, for Premier League title and FA Cups Um, and if you're not really a fan of one of those big teams you know maybe you become a fan of Arsenal because they're in the Super League and then you can also support your your local club or whatever you could kind of be dually fandom I don't know if that's the right way to say it but you could have a fan and be a fan in the Super League and a fan of your local team because the game, the game now is much more globalized. The, these owners aren't just appealing to the local English like suburbs or towns that they're, they're in or the local Spanish or Italian cities they're from. They're, they're trying to globalize this. This is for, you know, all the people in Asia watching all the people in North America, all people in South America, Africa, everywhere, everyone watches soccer. So that's what this league is for. It's for those, it's for those, eyeballs basically because arsenal man city chelsea real madrid barcelona those are global brands if 
you go anywhere in the world and you say that, they'll be like, they'll most definitely be someone who knows that. If I go across the world and say Kansas City Royals or, you know, Jacksonville Jaguars, most people will be like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Like, I don't know. What is he saying? And that, that's why they're doing it. They're trying to be global. They're trying to be 21st century. They're trying to make money. And I see what they're doing. I just think it's not done in the right way. And it's just not going to end well. I think this is the poops hit the fan right now. And it's, it's still spinning around and there's still some chunks left waiting to fall off. So we'll see, we'll see where it lands. I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. They are trying, this is their grand way of globalizing the game. The game is already global. The, at, like soccer is the biggest sport in the world. What else do you need to do to, to get a few more eyeballs so you can get a few more, uh, a few more dollars in your, in your bank account? Soc- this, the reach has already been, has, has, has already been there. And yeah, we do have clubs that feel like more than feel like brands more than actual clubs. It's not even about that for some of these players, for some of these, you know, fans, you know, Chelsea is their local club. Man City is their local club. And, you know, let's not forget those teams, every, every one of these teams had a period of decline, had a period of struggle, had a period of just grinding. You know, Man City was in the third division um, two, dec- two years ago. I mean, two decades ago. And... The fact that they were able to climb themselves up, you know, that should be commended. Um, it's so hard not to be um, mad because, you know, here's a quote uh, from um, Perez, the the president, the chairman, or whatever, of uh, this so-called, you know, Super League. You know, all oh, all the profits are going to trickle down. It's just going to trickle down like a rainbow. Like we're from America, we know that trickle down economics doesn't doesn't work. Okay, they're going to pocket it, and then all the the rest of the clubs are going to struggle for scraps. They're going to fight for scraps, and I'm just so worried. You know, this year has been rough. There have been no fans in the stadium, which at no point I don't even think they will pull this pull this. Uh, excuse my French. I'm trying not to curse here. Um, in a if fans were allowed in the stadiums right now, because they would be hearing it, they would be shouting from the rooftops how much they didn't want this. But back to my point, it's been a year of and during this pandemic, there's been so many ish struggles that football clubs have been going through. You know. And this is just gonna make it worse. Some clubs may not is some a matter of fact, some like there are gonna be clubs that are not going to survive a super league. And we already seen, you know, team like you know Burry just fade into existence. You know, that was someone that a team supported. And we're gonna see more of these um if this super league does happen. And honestly, I think it's gonna happen. 
you know, um, these, you have eight of the richest clubs in the world, not like the most successful, you know, Tottenham and Arsenal haven't even won a Champions League, you know, mind you, and yet they're in this so-called Super League. And they have no fear of, you know, perform doing poorly in the Premier League because, oh, we still got the Super League. It just breeds mediocrity. And it just breeds mediocrity. It just breeds um, complacency. And... And I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. One thing I should mention about the way that UEFA, uh, the governing body of Europe, uh, currently like sends out money or distributes money. So say a team from England qualifies for the Champions League and they make it to the semifinals. That team is awarded a certain amount of money, but also the English FA is also awarded a certain amount of money. So that means the English Football Association can decide to give that money to lower level teams that need it, or they can invest in grassroots programs, or they can do a million different things with that, that money. You know, maybe it's only a couple hundred thousand dollars, maybe to, to Chelsea, that's not a lot of money, but to a local park organization or to a lower league side, a fourth tier English side, a couple hundred thousand dollars, fifty thousand dollars, that could be the difference between folding as a club or being able to pay your salaries. That could be the difference between setting up your your local soccer league or not having a local league. And what these teams are gonna do is just basically take all the money and keep it for themselves. They say they're gonna do solidarity payments, they say they're gonna do trickle down. Or whatever did did Perez actually say that? Did yes, he say yeah, something to that effect? He said that he had this whole interview trying to um, prop up his whole Super League. It was a mess, you know, just a whole bunch of lies. If I'm being honest, and yeah, just you know, there's so much good that you know clubs do for the community that that's not going to happen if that if if this Super League happens, you know, it's not because it's not about the club. It's about the people that represent the club. It's about the values of or what that club represents to them and you know it's just going to be gone yeah this this league is going to happen because you have 12 of the richest clubs in europe and they have the leverage at the moment fifa uefa they can thread all they want they can even go through a bit but they have the lead players. They have their TV revenue. They have the. They have all the leverage. If FIFA and UEFA go through this, then the other leagues will only suffer as a result. Because, because you're right. For the regular fan, they're not going to see Burnley versus Sheffield United. They're not going to see Aston Villa versus West Ham. As as that as as hard that may be. To, to say it's, it's the truth. And, you know, these, those clubs are just going to struggle. Like you said, they're just going to struggle. And, you know, I don't think that none of these teams would even go through it. They didn't think it would be successful. So this is where we're at right now. Um, 
And I feel like the only chance of this happening or this not happening is the players speak out. We don't have, there's no type of players union. And one is so desperately needed at this point to just have someone to advocate of what the players, you know, think or how the players do. Because at the end of the day, you know, you can't have a club without players. You can't have a club without players. You can't, you can't have, you can't put anyone on the pitch if you don't have people uh, playing for you. And, you know, we've seen with the NBA, you know, what happened um, during the, uh, during the bubble with the lockouts. Um, so far, um, we have been having games. Uh, Liverpool had the games um, today. Um, there's been no, like, strike or anything. But I would implore, you know, some of those, some of those uh, players to really consider doing that and showing what they, what they stand for. Because we know this is not what they want. And... I think they have the opportunity to really speak out before this, you know, keeps going. So, well, on that somber note, <laughs> we'll move over from one closed league system to another closed league system, the greatest soccer league in the entire world. Major League Soccer opened up its opening weekend this weekend, um, and I have to say there were there are quite a few good games out there this weekend. Tons of golazos out there. Lots of nice goals. Lots of nice buildup. Um, Della, what games were did you check out this weekend? So um, I watched the club that I'm going to be supporting um, for the rest of my life. Um, the New England Revolution. They're in Boston, which I am currently in right now. So it'll be easy to try to go to the games uh, and, you know, try to be more of a local fan. Um, they are coached by Bruce Arena, who... For U.S. fans, no, um, had a kind of a hit and miss um, period with the national team, you know, took them to the quarterfinals and then didn't take them to the World Cup. But, you know, he's back in the MLS. Um, he has a, like he has had a lot of success in the MLS, uh, winning Cups with the Galaxy. Um, he's coaching the Revolution now. Um, they started off the game very poorly, you know, two goals conceded in the opening uh, 20 minutes, I believe. But they, cr- they crawled back. Um, and um, scored two goals before halftime, and then was just trying to find that third, uh, that third goal for either team, and uh, none, and they weren't able to get it. But it was a definitely exciting game, and um, showing some um, positive aspects, some aspects that need to be changed. And um, you know, as to say, it's always uh, the first game of the season. Don't doesn't really tell us too much, um, but does give us some like tidbits of how my the team might act uh, throughout the season. And then um, I also happened to watch uh, Inter Miami um, owned by David Beckham and uh, LA Galaxy, who you know also have uh, Sebastian Legette of the US um, MT. And it was a pretty back and forth affair. There were times when it looked like Inter was in control, but then LA kept coming back and it came to bite uh, Inter Miami in the butt. They um, uh, Chicharito scored two goals, and then um, and then LA um, was able to win the game in the, the diamonds of the match, um, and I took away with all three points. Just going back to the Revs real quick, um, you might want to prepare yourself for some heartbreak. I think they're zero and five in MLS Cups all time. 
I might have to check that stat, but they've been there five times and they've lost five times. So you that was you before might, I was a fan. So, you know, that might change. That was going to change. Right. You might be the good luck charm that they, yeah. they've always been looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Back to that Miami LA game. Um, I hate to say it, but I was kind of happy to see Chicharito score two goals. I know he's uh, Mexico's all-time leading scorer and Mexico's are supposed to be our rival, but that man's been through a lot the last year and a half. He lost his grandfather, had to deal with COVID, had to deal with coming to a new team with super high expectations and really underperformed last year. He was, he was terrible. There's, there's really no two ways about it, but there were also some, some underlying circumstances. What I just said, also their old coach, uh, Guillermo Barros Coloto didn't have any ideas. Um, he wasn't the best manager he was kind of just like a go out there and play type manager which works if you have good players that know what they're doing like Zlatan but not so well if you're if your talent level isn't there so LA definitely uh, looked a little better under the new coach um, Inter Miami showed some life actually after being pretty much just a, a dead rubber team last year just not really doing much of anything they actually had some ideas out there some of their Attacking pieces looked nice. Robbie Robinson, last year's first overall pick, got himself a goal. Maybe could have scored another one. So good to see some some development from him. Um, a game I looked at. I looked at the, those opening night games on Friday night. I watched both of those: San Jose versus Houston. Um, San Jose got ran in that game. They lost two to one. Um, Paul Marie scored a really dope goal. He scored like a thirty-five yard curler which was came out of nothing and then wando i love you wando but you break my heart every dang time he missed a sitter like literally inside the six yard box wide open net and couldn't get it on frame but they they definitely didn't deserve anything from that game houston pressed them out of the game didn't allow them any time and space and and completely crushed them and seattle for nothing over minnesota seattle lost jordan morris this year um, Nico Ladero wasn't playing. Who's, who's probably the best player. Um, some other changes in their teams, some veterans that they had lost and were replacing. And they just kept the train rolling for nothing over a Minnesota team who they played in the Western conference final last season. Um, a lot of people had tipped Minnesota to, to kind of take that next step, maybe overtake Seattle, but they, they proved that they've been a stalwart in this league since they joined. I think this is their 11th season. They've made the playoffs in all 10 of their previous seasons, and they're hoping to make that 11 out of 11 this season. And that game also featured a banger. Jao Paulo um, kicked the ball up to himself. He controlled it and volleyed it out of midair for the first goal. So opening night gave us a couple couple nice goals. Um, and that was kind of my biggest takeaway from this weekend. There was a ton, like seven or eight goals that made me say, wow, like that was actually pretty nice. It wasn't just – rinky dink like oh let me just like toe poke it in from two yards out it was like either some intricate build-up play or or a nice curler nice folly and that's what you like to see from mls you know or just soccer in general you just like to see some some players going out there showing their skills showing their creativity and that was on display in the first week which usually it isn't usually teams are rusty but teams came out ready to play this weekend even the um, goalless draws, you know, they were still entertaining. Um, we had one with a defending champion and uh, defending MLS Cup uh, winner, uh, Columbus Crew over the Philadelphia Union. Uh, just a lot of, you know, attacking play, a lot of frantic, you know, defending. Um, 
you know, there's there's a looseness to uh, MLS that you know is kind of that kind of does feel like a breath of fresh air um, at times. That um, and and I think you know for 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 um, player for teams um, for like you know fans, um, you know there are definitely like elements to really um, appreciate about um, MLS and um, just looking forward to uh, the season. And, you know, we also got uh, Canadian teams as well. We got Vancouver, got Toronto, Vancouver, um, blew out, um, didn't blow out, but then, you know, they handled um, Portland pretty comfortably. Um, Another perennial contender in the, in the playoffs. So we'll see what damage they can do. Um, A lot of, intriguing storylines um already popping up um with this first weekend and um yeah this is the first start of the weekend you know we have till november till they crown the champion and we'll see who that might be as is the as the season progresses the thing i really love about mls is that it's it's usually later in the day so I can wake up and in the mornings, I got my European football that I'm watching. I'm checking out all my U.S. national team guys, seeing how Gio Reyna's doing, see how Weston's doing, seeing if Pulisic's getting a start here. And then in the afternoon, then I can turn on some MLS and, and watch some action. Um, de- definitely part of the reason why it's so much more open is because the way the, the rosters are configured, you only get a certain amount of money to spend on players and teams are going to spend money on offense. You know, that's who, that's what wins you games. That's what scores you goals. And that's what's exciting. So teams spend money on attackers and not a lot of money on defending. So games can be more open at times, but that also makes it more exciting. Um, and there's really no super dominant teams in MLS. Unlike the European Super League, there's no like teams who are really, really like dominating for, for multiple seasons. There might be a team... Uh, like a couple years ago, Toronto was really good. I think 2016, they had a couple good seasons, but 2016, they were really, really good. Two years ago, LAFC set the points record, um, but they didn't win MLS Cup. So they were the best team in the regular season, but when it came to the playoffs, they weren't able to get it done. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that that variability, kind of you never know any given Sunday who's going to win. And that's definitely more so from the MLS. Yeah. Atlanta... United, um, they formed um, in the first season. They won the cup in the first season, and everyone thought they were going to be this big dynasty, but they kind of took a couple steps down, you know, um, since then. So, you know, it's there's a higher chance of, you know, like thinking like, oh, this might be the year that um, we can win it. And um, that's part of where that um, energy comes from, for, from, the, from the MLS. And um, it's just going to be exciting. Who do you think is going – who is your pick to to win this year? Dang, you're making me pick at the beginning of the season? Um, of course, we, all, we have to have a – we have to have a prediction, you know, no matter what. Yeah, yeah. The safe picks are – would either be LAFC or Columbus. That's what a lot of the, the national media people are picking just because objectively those are probably the two best teams – but MLS, if it's taught me anything, it's it's either Seattle or something crazy. So I'm gonna 
I'm going to pick Portland. I think Portland can do it. I know they lost this first week. Um, they they had a decent showing in CONCACAF Champions League. They're still in that competition, and they're still without one of their one of their best attacking players, Sebastian Blanco. He's coming back from an ACL injury. So I think if if he can get back healthy and playing well, he was at an MVP level before he went down. So I think he could really take them over the top. And, and that's what really matters in MLS is kind of peaking at that right time, peaking towards the playoffs. That's how, that's exactly what happened to the Revs last season. They, they got Carlos Hill back from an injury and he was able to take them to the Eastern conference finals. Um, so I don't think Portland will be that down in the standings with if They're like a three, four seed, get a, get a home playoff game. I think they could make some damage come MLS playoffs time. Mm-hmm. Uh, my very unbiased um, take, I will be picking the new England revolution to go all the way. Bruce arena or bust. So um, yeah. Um, my other picks will be, you know, LA FC um, and maybe in um I will go with Columbus as well. But, uh, yeah, um, go Rats, baby. And um, one thing to notice, we have a, a lot of our, you know, national team come from MLS. So as much as we want to bash them, no, as much, you know, as other fans might want to criticize MLS, you know, there's a lot of good that they have done for our national team. And, um a lot of good that they have done expanding um, throughout the throughout the years, and it's been a, a totally different position to um, from when Beckham joined LA Galaxy. So um, stay tuned for that. Stay tuned. That's all I gotta say. Stay tuned. Yeah, the the hope is that players can maybe start their career in MLS, but we don't want them staying or like playing their careers in MLS. Like our national team right now, if you look at him, yeah, a lot of them started out in MLS, but moved on to Europe and are now playing at, at bigger, higher pressure clubs. MLS is a good starting place. And, and that's what I like about it. Especially now where we're having a lot more of our young players play, it's becoming way less of the retirement league and more of the development league. Yeah. There's still some old guys coming over for a big payday, but that's becoming decreasingly uh happening i said that wrong but that's that's, yeah not happening as often and it's becoming more of the young players are playing like for instance caden clark new york that's a guy if people aren't checking out he's 17 maybe 18 um, years old new york red bulls and at the end of the season he's already going to leipzig Mm -hmm. he already has it in his contract where he'll go to rb leipzig team up with tyler adams and he's only played like 10 MLS games, but he's got something like six or seven goals and the goals he's scoring are like super technical, like volleys and like scoring with his left scoring with his right. He, he's definitely a player to watch out for um, this season. He's definitely a young guy who, who could break through and maybe not break through for this cycle, but for, for next cycle could be our, our starting number 10. Yeah. Because, you know, folks, it's not going to be there. <laughs> Neither, either, neither is our um, number one goalkeeper. Um, funny enough, they both played against each other um, during the FA Cup semifinal against Chelsea and Leicester. Um, Zach Steffen got a rare start. Um, Pulisic scored against him, but it was offside. And that was something that, you know, 
I was so excited to, to see before all this, you know, Super League business just ruined that move. And we didn't even bring up Sergino Des winning his first trophy with Barcelona, winning the Copa del Rey. There was, there was a good amount of storylines this weekend. Gio Reyna played well, scored a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you said Des won a trophy at Barcelona. Um, Adam and, um, and Sargent played against each other um, as well. Um, Adams and um, Richards play against each other. There we go. Yeah, that's yeah. what it was. And they both look pretty good in that game. They definitely, you know, maybe weren't stars or maybe weren't like the best players in the game, but they didn't look out of place. And that's what that's what I'm kind of changing my mentality about how I look at our players abroad now. It's it's less of oh good he's in the team or like oh good he got like a 20 minute bench appearance and it's more. How is he looking out there? How, how is he actually contributing? Is he terrible? Um, and like Brian Reynolds got another start this weekend for Roma. Mm-hmm. Didn't look great. You know, wasn't Danny Alves out there, but he didn't make any mistakes. Yeah. Didn't look out of place. He's a 19-year-old right back who's played half MLS season and two European games. So you got to remember where he's at in his development. At 19, he's not going to be his finished project product he's going to have hopefully three four or five years worth of more development to improve his skills and i think that's that's great that we can look at twitter in the morning every weekend or we can look at whatever ratings app we're looking at and it's not did an american score this weekend in europe it's who scored and how many people scored and how many people started and and how well did they play i think that's the entire mentality even over the last 12 months has completely shifted, mm-hmm. which is just insane to think about. Yeah. Like, you know, Tim Weah, um, he started in the, in the, in a tie against, uh, for, for Leo, um, Jordan Subet, you know, he won, um, the title, um, Brent Ayrton's nearing his uh, title with Salzburg. Um, there's a lot of developments that we should be proud about. There's still a lot of good in, in football and just, I want to go back to the, the to Super League. I just wanted to say this. You know, we're not saying that FIFA and UEFA are saints. They are the opposite of saints. They, this, this is, we're talking about organization that looked at all of the viable candidates for the 2022 World Cup and then chose Qatar, a country that has temperatures of over 120 degrees. So that's why we are playing the World Cup in December. And I can go to so much detail about the corruption that FIFA and UEFA have done. The blind eyes, they turn to racism. Just, I can, I can really go on. But, and so we're not propping them up to be any type of saints. And I saying them as a savior of football against this Super League. But, um, this is what they have created, you know, a whole, um, oh, oh, in spite of their many, many flaws, you know, we have been able to create something that everyone has been tuning in, you know, from stateside to, you know, going to multiple continents, you know, the reason why we even created this podcast in the first place. No, that's what it's supposed to be about. 
And um, for those who might be feeling down about it, I wish, um, you know, these words would, you know, hope, remember, hope would um, give you some inspiration um, to, you know, fight for, fight for this sport that we all love so much. So support your local league, support your local soccer. I think that's, that's very important. Um, even beyond MLS, if you have like a local soccer club, sort of soccer organization, mm-hmm. grassroots movement, you know, if they're trying to develop soccer fields or something like that, access to play, definitely that's where the game needs the, the most of our support. It's, it's, it's fun to watch on TV, watch the best players play, but that's only a smidge of the actual impact that that soccer, that football can have on everybody's lives. Even with COVID, even in this pandemic, you know, um, they were stressing to us, we need to come together now more than ever. Well, we're going to have to come together for those who failed to um, help us out when we when we need it the most. And, you know, this might be, and this is gonna be a changed world, um, but as long as we don't let go of what, like, what this supposed, what it's supposed to mean, our values, you know, and what we love about this sport, then, you know, that's, we're gonna find a way to keep pushing, you know, LFG. I love you. One thing before we let you go, um, I'll I'll do a uh, MLS game of the week every time we have a pod. If there's a some MLS games at the weekend, I'll just say a game that I'm most interested in, or a game that has some some national team implications. Maybe you know, Lejet's going to play Aaron Long. Oh wait, that's happening this weekend. That's happening on Sunday. LA Galaxy are going to play New York, but that's not the game that I'm picking as my game of the week. I think it's pretty obvious if you look at the schedule. We got LAFC versus Seattle, 3 p.m. Pacific time on ESPN. They got the the national game for a reason. Those are two of the best teams in the Western Conference. Um, hopefully, Carlos Vela is healthy. He came out of the his first game with an apparent injury, but maybe wasn't an injury. It was a weird situation there. But, but that's the game I would check out if you're, if you're free this Saturday. LAFC versus Seattle, 3 p.m. on ESPN. Yeah, stay tuned. We will be. And um, looking forward to seeing all you the next time. Um, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening to Soccer Down Football. This is Della signing off. This is Daniel. We won't ever abandon you guys. We won't leave you for a Super League. We promise. If they pay us, like, what, a billion dollars, then maybe I will. All right, yeah, then maybe we're, then maybe we'll jump ship, but but yeah. well, only for a billion. Well, maybe maybe a million. Okay, I got we got we got student loans to pay. Okay, we got to work on our morals, Stella. We got to work yeah. on our morals. Yes. All right. Take care, y'all.